Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. What we call the Bible, the Bible itself calls it Scripture or the Word of God. Let me read to a passage you're probably familiar with. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. So scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning it's not just that these men, Paul, Peter, David, Moses, just decided they wanted to write what they wanted to write. But 1 Corinthians 2.13 says they gave us the words by which the Holy Ghost teaches. They gave us the words. Uh, It's, it's kind of like uh, a, an executive dictating to a secretary. The secretary types the letter, and she may initial the letter, but he signs it because he actually came up with the words. God is like the, the executive in this case. He's the one that actually comes up with, with the words in the Bible. The writers like Paul and Peter were just more like the secretary. God told them the words to say. And this scripture is profitable. profitable profitable for doctrine. We talk about doctrine a lot on this program. Well, how do you determine the right doctrine? Because all these different preachers in different churches teach different doctrines. How are you supposed to determine the right doctrine? I think you know. It comes from Scripture. It's profitable for doctrine. It says in verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect. Now, God wants us to be perfect, sinless. None of us ever make that, but I don't think that's what this is talking about. This is talking about mature or complete. God gives us the scripture so that the man of God may be perfect, complete, mature Christian, truly furnished unto all good works. It doesn't say it gives us, it partially furnishes us unto some good works, truly furnishes us to all good works. So all good works that we can do are defined by the scripture. Like Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't do anything unless it's authorized by the scripture, by Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever we do in religion, we should do it because Jesus told us to do it. If he didn't tell us to do it, just don't do it. Now, last week we were talking about the four types of death. We pointed out from James 2.26 that death is involves a separation. Physical death is usually the first thing we think about. Uh, for as the body without the spirit is dead, James 2.26. And so when The spirit leaves the body. That's God's definition for death. It's not necessarily when the heart stops beating because you can shock them back into that. But when the spirit leaves the body, that's death, physical death. But also we talked about last week, spiritual death. That's when our spirit is separated from God. Spiritual death is, physical death is important, but spiritual death is probably even more important because spiritual death causes us to be lost eternally. Physical death, in effect, is only a temporary thing because that's just, we, we, we don't have the use of our physical body more, but our spirit is going to live on. We pointed out from Ezekiel 18.20, let me read that. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. It's like God anticipated this false doctrine that the Catholics made up and that the Calvinists propagate that babies are born guilty of the original sin of Adam and that they're born totally depraved so they can't choose good 
It's like God anticipated that false doctrine and put in a verse right here that directly and clearly refutes the doctrine that babies are born guilty of sin. It says the soul that sinneth it shall die. We're talking about spiritual death here. It's not, it's not that a baby dies because, spiritually dies because of Adam's sin. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. So Seth, the son of Adam and Eve that we probably all came from, he did not inherit the guilt of the sin of his father. And I didn't inherit the guilt of the sin of my father, Kenneth Donahue. Father, you don't inherit sin from your parents or from Adam or anything else. Sin, by definition, is something you do. You inherit stuff like what color hair you have, how tall you are, what color eyes you have. Sin is more like riding a bicycle or washing your hands. It's something you either do or don't do. You don't inherit, you know, washing your hands. It's something that you do. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And so if I do something righteous, you're not going to get credit for that. If I do something wicked, you're not going to be charged for that. And if Adam does something wicked, he's going to be charged with that, not us. And that's only fair. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches here. It's clear as a bell, but the Catholics and the Calvinists want to lead you into this false doctrine of babies being born in sin. And by that, they mean guilty of sin. So spiritual death doesn't result from the sin of Adam. My spiritual death results because of my own sin. Now, my physical death, we talked about last week, does result from the original sin of Adam because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were banished from the garden, lost access to the tree of life. And as long as they had access to the tree of life, they were going to live physically forever. They, in effect, had eternal physical life, but they lost it because of their sin. And we lost the same thing. We became mortal because we don't we don't have access to the tree of life. But spiritual death is a totally different matter. Let me give you an illustration to, to illustrate the difference. Here you have a drunk driver. He's out driving. He has an accident. In the other car, an infant gets killed. Well, who sinned in that case, the infant or the drunk driver? Well, the drunk driver. Who died physically? Well, the drunk driver didn't die. The infant died because of the drunk driver's sin. So the infant suffered physical consequences because of the drunk driver's sin. But does that mean the baby's going to be lost spiritually forever because of that drunk driver's sin? No. It's the drunk driver that's going to be lost because of his sin if he doesn't repent and get forgiven. The the sin of the drunk driver doesn't, he affects the baby physically, physical consequences, but not spiritual. Same with Adam and Eve. His sin affected a physically, physical consequences, physical death, but not spiritual death. Has nothing to do with whether or not we go to heaven or not. What Adam did, it's what we do. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The lines are wide open. The number is 877-655-6755. If you got a Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755. So we said death involves a separation. Physical death, separation of spirit from body. Spiritual death, separation of our spirit from God. And that brings us to Romans 6.23, which is talking about spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, wages means something you earn. If you get a birthday check from your grandmother when you're 10 years old, you didn't have to earn that. That's not wages. That's a gift. Wages for sin is death. That's what we deserve because of our sin. Spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You don't earn that. You, once you sin, you can't earn that. That's a gift from God, eternal life 
The wages of sin is death. That's talking about spiritual death. If I sin, I die spiritually. When Adam sinned, well, what did he tell Adam in Genesis 2, 17? In the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Didn't say anything about uh, anybody else dying. Didn't say Pat was going to die because of Adam's sin. Now, that's what the Catholics and the Calvinists would have you to believe. But the verse says that Adam would die because of his sin. Not us. Not us. We see the same thing in Isaiah 59, verse 2. It's just different words. Talking to the Israelites, he says, but your iniquities, Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. That's spiritual death. Separation from God. And whose sins caused the Israelites to be separated from God? Well, the Catholics and the Calvinists would say Adam's sin. They were separated from God by Adam's sin because everybody is. No, if they had been separated from God by Adam's sin, then their own sins would not have separated them from God because they would have already been separated. They were separated from God by their own sin. They weren't separated from God until they sinned. Had nothing to do with Adam's sin. Their separation from God had everything to do with their own sin. What I'm getting at is here, we cannot blame, we cannot blame our spiritual plight on anybody else but ourselves. We're the ones that sin. We're lost because of our own sin. Don't try to blame it on somebody else like Adam. Try to shift blame. That's a that's a thing that people like to do. Teresa from Wisconsin, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, thank you. My question is, how do you respond to people when they talk about a special needs, a whether it's a child or adolescent or adult that maybe has an intellectual disability, how do you describe salvation in a situation like that? Like salvation or well, lack of salvation? Carol and I have four children, okay? The okay. three older ones are out of the house, but my youngest, Wesley, has Down syndrome. You know what that is, Teresa? Yes, yes, they do. And we have a special needs yeah. child. He's a happy boy. He's 22 years old. <clears throat> And the Bible describes this in different verses. I'm going to look up, try to show you, try to read to you some of these verses. Okay. Uh, first of all, we read Ezekiel 18:20, "The soul that sinneth it shall die." Okay. So infants are not in sin. Now, here's Romans 9 verse 11. I'm going to read you some verses, and you tell me what you think, Teresa. Romans 9:11. It says, "The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil." Isaiah 7, 16, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Do you see there's a point in a child's life where he doesn't know to refuse the evil and choose the good? So the same right. thing is true about my son Wesley, even though he's 22, special needs child. That's true about a three-year-old. They haven't reached what we call the age of accountability. They're not old enough to know to refuse the evil and choose the good, so God does not hold, him, hold them responsible. Here's Deuteronomy 139 says, your little ones, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither and unto them I will give it and they shall possess it. So the little ones he's talking about here, they had no knowledge between good and evil. And then John 923 says, his parents said about the blind man, he is of age, ask him. So he was of age, this blind man, he's of age, but that implies that there are people who are not of age. And one more verse Teresa, Jonah 4 verse 11 says, and should I not spare Nineveh when are more than six core thousand persons 
that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Who's that talking about, Teresa? I'm assuming a child. Yeah, children. People are not responsible. They can't even discern between the right hand and the left. And people like my son, Wesley, who has Down syndrome. I don't believe they're responsible for their sins. Now, do they do things that are wrong, that are against God's law? Yeah. Some children may tell a lie. They may disobey their parents. You know, they may act ugly. So they do things that are contrary to God's law, but God doesn't hold them responsible until they're old enough to discern between good and evil, like Isaiah 7, 16 says. And so at the very same time, Teresa, that they become old enough to understand the difference in right and wrong and they violate God's law, at that very same time, they're old enough to obey the gospel, to believe in Christ and to be baptized, Mark 16, 16, and be forgiven, saved from their sins. Before they reach that age, they don't need to be saved from their sins because they're not held responsible. At the very moment they become responsible for their sins, then they're old enough to understand the gospel and obey the gospel and get forgiveness for their sins. Does that make sense, Teresa? It does. It does. Any follow-up? Thank you so much. No, I don't think so. I may call you later and so I can send you these verses by email, okay? That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Teresa. Bye-bye. And if anybody else would like me to send you all these verses, I kind of read them real quick, but clearly they're talking about what we call the age of accountability. They're, they're pretty clear. And, we, and I've got five or six of them here. I'd like to send them to you. So if at the end of the program, I'll give my, uh, my own cell phone number out where you can call or text me and ask me for these verses. But we're talking about spiritual death at this point. But if you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. So the next passage I want to read when we're talking about spiritual death is, is to talk about what causes our spiritual death. And I think a good passage to read at this point would be James 1, 14 and 15. In James 1, 14 and 15, we read, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now notice, this spiritual death doesn't result from Adam's sin or anybody else's sin. Not my daddy's sin, nobody else's sin. It results from my own sin. It says, every man is tempted. So when I'm tempted, I'm drawn away by my own lust. Now, lust there is not necessarily something bad. It just means desire. But but the devil, Satan, usually working through people, he uses something we desire and entices us. He tempts us to sin. Like here's a man that's hungry and he hadn't been working, you know, like he ought to, and he can't afford to buy any food. So he goes, he's tempted to steal food. Now, that desire for hung, for food, hunger, nothing wrong with that. He's desiring the food. But Satan uses that desire for food to try to tempt him to get the food in an unlawful way by stealing the food. So when that lust or desire hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Now, you notice the sin comes from ourself. We succumb to a temptation. We are tempted. It has nothing to do with Adam. We are tempted. We succumb to the temptation. And then when we succumb and act upon that uh, succumbing to the temptation. When sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death, spiritual death. You see how spiritual death always results from 
Pat's spiritual death always results from Pat being tempted and succumbing to that temptation, acting upon that temptation, sinning, and I spiritually die. Has nothing to do with what Adam did. That's spiritual death. Spiritual death is the separation of Pat from God. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So that was James 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 says this. Lo, this only have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Yeah, that passage is really strong against this idea of babies being born guilty of sin that the Catholics and Calvinists teach. Just like Ezekiel 18 clearly taught that it was wrong, so does this one. This said God made man upright. Now, that's not talking about just Adam. The newer translations will say mankind. God hath made mankind upright. And you know it's talking about all of mankind because it doesn't say God made man upright, but he sought out one invention as if it were talking about one man, Adam. It's God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions or sinful schemes. So this is talking about all of mankind. It says God makes man upright, all of mankind. So every baby is born just like Adam, completely innocent, with the propensity to either choose good or evil. There's nothing forcing him to choose evil and nothing forcing him to choose good. He's he's created upright, according to God, without sin. And then temptation is placed before him by the devil through Ben and either chooses good or chooses evil, just like Adam. No difference. We're all came from Adam and we're born just like Adam. The ability to either choose good or bad. We're made upright just like Adam. And the reason we're not upright anymore is because we seek out many schemes, many sinful schemes. Again, another verse that conclusively proves this Catholic idea that babies are born in or guilty of sin and don't have the ability to choose right is completely false. Somebody made that up. Now, I've been in a number of public debates on this question of inherited original sin or total depravity, as some call it. And the number one passage that's used by the opposing debaters to try to prove their position is Romans 5, verse 12. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. There's a number of passages that people try to use to misuse to try to prove babies are born guilty of sin. The number one passage is Romans 5.12, and we'll get to that in a minute, Lord willing. Ashley from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Ashley, you're on the air. Go oh, ahead. My question is, when is it, um, when is it okay to leave a marriage because of infidelity? So Jesus said in Matthew 19.9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So that's saying, and I think you're agreeing, Ashley, the only reason you can scripturally leave a marriage before death is if they cheat on you, infidelity. If they cheat on you sexually, then Ashley, you have the right to divorce your spouse for that fornication, that adultery that they've committed. Once you divorce them, you'd have the right to remarry. Does that answer your question, what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, Ashley? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome, Ashley. So if your spouse cheats on you sexually with another person, you have the right to divorce them for that reason. And you could remarry in that case. But if they don't cheat on you sexually, you have no right to divorce them. It's for better or for worse till death do us part. God expects you to follow through on that commitment. For example, suppose I got drunk every Saturday night. And I got kind of ornery and mean to my wife when I was drunk. That'd be a sin, wouldn't it? Yeah, getting drunk is a sin. Romans, one of the works of the flesh, Romans 5, 19 through 21. Definitely a sin. Could my wife divorce me for that? No. The only sin she can divorce me for is if I commit adultery. So if I sin by getting drunk, she's just going to have live, have live, have to live with that. She made a commitment that she's going to stay with me till death. Romans 7, 2, and 3, she's bound to her husband as long as he lives. Bound means obligated. Dolphin from Philadelphia. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, yes. I'm calling because I'm struggling with a, uh, a, a, a stronghold in my life, and uh, it's, it's, it's drinking. And uh, uh, before I turned in you, uh, a previous program uh, 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 made a point of little prayer, little uh, uh, a little uh, power, and I don't pray as much as, as as I should. Do I need to commit myself and put myself away, or just humble myself more to God and pray more? Put yourself away for what? In what sense? In in what sense? Uh, 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 alcohol. I'm not getting the victory over alcohol. You're having a problem with alcohol. What, yeah. Well, so what you need to try to do is, and this is easier said than done, maybe because it's maybe it's kind of addictive. You got to quit drinking, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you're if you're willing to repent of that drinking, you can be forgiven for that. It's just like any other sin. You can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Let me call you after the program's over, and we'll talk more about it. Okay, Dolphin? Okay. Thank you for your call. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, Luke 13, verse 3. Many passages teach you have to repent if you want to be forgiven. If a person has a problem with alcohol, he's getting drunk, he's going to have to repent of that. Maybe it's hard, but he's still going to have to do it. It doesn't matter whether it's easy or hard, you have to do it. Don't put yourself in that position is what I always like to tell people. Don't take your first sip and you won't be so tempted to continue to drink. Just never take your first sip. That's the best advice I can give. I'm about to have to go off the air in just two or three minutes. Let me get back to Romans 5 verse 12. The number one passage the Catholics and the Calvinists use to try to prove babies are born in or guilty of sin. It says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Let me comment upon that. That's, that's exactly what we read about in Genesis. One man, Adam, sin entered to the world. And then spiritual death by that sin. Because before Adam sinned, there was there was no sin in the world. So sin entered through him. And he was the first one to spiritually die because of his own sin. But then the second part of the verse says, And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It doesn't say death, spiritual death, passes upon all men because Adam sinned. It says death passes upon all men for that all have sinned. In other words, Pat doesn't die spiritually because of Adam's sin. I die spiritually because of my own sin. And this is supposed to be the number one passage to try to prove babies are born guilty of sin. And it teaches very clearly and unambiguously the exact opposite of that. If this were on the Calvinist side, it would have said death passed upon all men for that one man had sin. Adam had sin. It doesn't. It says the very opposite. Death passed upon all men 
for or because all have sinned. So it teaches the exact, this is supposed to be the number one passage used to try to prove babies are born guilty of Adam's original sin. And it says the exact opposite. The Bible is completely unanimous that this is false. People die spiritually because of their own sin and nobody else's. That's what we read in Ezekiel 18. I don't die because of Adam's sin or because spiritual death I'm talking about or because of my my dad's sin. Nobody else's sin affects me spiritually, maybe physically. I mean, a baby who's born to a mother who's hooked on drugs, he may be hooked on drugs when he's born. He's affected physically, but not spiritually. It will not affect where he goes to heaven or not. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. You'd like me to send you the verses by email that I read to the caller earlier showing the age of accountability. Call or text me at 256-682-9753.